Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of the Rolling Forward podcast. I am your host Ben Baldieri and thank you for tuning in. On this podcast I'm going to be talking about mental health and sport with various guests doing various things and the interplay between those two things. Mental health is a huge issue which has historically not received the recognition it deserves. I have some extensive personal experience dealing with various struggles so I'm seeking to broaden the dialogue and do my bit to change that. My guest today is Oki Alexander. He is a fitness entrepreneur based in China and he is building an early childhood education business focused on the holding of physical and mental space and teaching young kids how to manage themselves. Feedback is welcomed and encouraged and I hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, thank you very much Oki um, for taking this time. Um, First thing I want to dig into a bit is your your business, Movement Origins, or Mubo. Sure. Can you tell us just a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, the intention of Movement Origins is um, to help people get a different view on how they see fitness and health. Mm-hmm. So uh, I see a couple of trends in our society, and... Um, uh, one of the trends is to be superhuman. Mm-hmm. Uh, people want to have big muscles, do all these things that go way beyond uh, regular human capacity or what you would need in, yep. in human life. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I see a trend towards uh, subhumanness, so people that actually cannot do normal human movement anymore, okay. um, like climbing, yep. squatting, uh, lifting something, mm-hmm. crawling, mm-hmm. jumping. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, I found that actually being in the middle of those things, being simply human, is one of the hardest things to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe as an allegory, I can give you this um, this um, old um, Zen joke, mm-hmm. uh, where you have three students of Zen, and uh, one of them says, like, oh, my master, he does amazing things. Mm-hmm. He can shake ashes from his sleeve mm-hmm. and you know make them appear, and it's endless. Mm-hmm. And, and the second one says, oh, my master, he does even more amazing things. Mm-hmm. He can have like this ball of paper and just catches fire in his hands, yep. you know. And it's absolutely amazing. Third one is like, oh, my master also does miracles like that. Mm-hmm. He sleeps when he's sleepy and he eats when he's hungry. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> it's kind of telling, isn't it? I think as we've, as we've kind of progressed as a society and the things that we take value from seem to be moving more and more towards this perpetual state of achievement. So yep. it becomes more a case of what are you doing as opposed to like what are you being and humans are the only animal that doesn't sleep when they're tired or doesn't eat when they're hungry and they'll put thing will put things off until a later point and yeah I think I think what you're saying about it being difficult to just be now is incredibly true. I mean, what impact do you think the the likes of social media has on this kind of movement towards being superhuman at the one end? Uh, this is very interesting. I actually had this discussion yesterday, mm. well, and um, I think social media is a catalyst yep. um, that just sped everything up. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a very important difference between the old media mm-hmm. and social media. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when you see things on TV, you might expand your worldview. You might see things that you might not have seen otherwise. And 
you know, you live on a farm in a quiet life and you might see the life in the city, it might attract you and you might want to go there. Mm-hmm. But it's still something that's far away and can be sort of unreachable in some ways. Mm-hmm. But uh, with social media, what it brought was that um, everybody can be a celebrity. Yeah. Um, and um, and it's very interesting. I, I like actually to link this to, um, to the American dream, something that's actually mm-hmm. also very prominent in China, mm-hmm. right? Where the idea is that everybody can make it. Yeah. And uh, in my point of view, this actually leads to a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Because if the ideal and the dream okay, is that everybody can make it, um, that also means that uh, if you don't make it, you've done something wrong and you're a failure. Mm-hmm. Right? And uh, the same is happening in China right now. Everybody feels this entitlement of success and everybody sees the neighbor progressing to incredible levels of wealth. Yeah. So, um, social media sort of plays into this. It's mm-hmm. sort of the epiphany or the, the, the zenith of the American dream, mm-hmm. I think, where you say we give everybody an mm-hmm. opportunity to make it and be their own star. Mm-hmm. And in return, this, of course, fuels also this anxiety of yep. not making it. Yeah. And um, that chance is getting bigger and bigger as well mm-hmm. that you don't make it. So <clears throat> I think um, that with social media, it exacerbates the need for people to feel special mm-hmm. and um, and actually in our society mm-hmm. where we continuously increase the population density in cities, yep. competition is getting higher yep. and higher uh, every year and uh, so the need for to be special, to mm-hmm. be specialized to stand uh, for out survival, in some way. Yep. exactly, to stand out in some way is getting higher and higher. Mm-hmm. Then social media comes in and says, oh, we give you this opportunity to do this. Here's mm-hmm. a tool that can help you. And um, so everybody is getting, you know, they, people were already anxious and nervous yeah. about not being able to survive, not being yeah. special enough, not being um, standing out in some way. Mm-hmm. And now with social media, the pressure's on because you have the tool. Mm-hmm. Why are you not special? Yeah, of course. Right? So... Um, it's, it's, I believe that it's contributing to our anxiety, mm-hmm. to our fear of missing out, mm-hmm. to, uh, to this whole dynamic of trying to be superhuman mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So do you think that it's responsible for kind of driving a bit of a divide, as you say, between people who are superhumans, you see these super athletes who are capable of these amazing things at one end of the scale versus the subhuman aspect who are more not able to climb, not able to kind of move in a natural way. Do you think that part of the reason that this divide is becoming more obvious is as a result of kind of social media shining a light and showing these kind of two parts and the individuals who feel they're not able to reach these superhuman standards become disheartened, which leads them to just kind of stopping altogether? Yes. Mm. Cool. I feel like I've, uh, I've adequately summarised that. Okay. Yes, no, it, certainly. It, it highlights it. Yeah. And um, it makes uh, the pressure higher. Yeah. And when pressure gets higher, you've got two types of people. Yeah. You've got people that try to live up to the pressure mm-hmm. and people that turn away altogether. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So, being simply human is your, your business slogan, your motto. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? 
how do you mean being simply human? Is this obviously this is from a movement standpoint, but how would you define that? So, um, simply human is um, a state of um, I would almost say compassion towards the self, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where you know who you are mm-hmm. um, and where you know why you are like that. Yep. Um, and um, so it uh, relates to the movement side uh, and it also relates therefore to the psychological side mm-hmm. uh, very clearly because those are not unlinked obviously as mm-hmm. you very well know yes indeed and so the um, um, for me actually the psychological side is almost more important than yep. the than the physical side mm-hmm. because the physical side can often be a um, a result of the psychological side mm-hmm. uh, like we discussed before people have this strong need to be special mm-hmm. um, and to stand out mm-hmm. and that drives them often towards ambitions of uh, body image or um, uh, ability that go far beyond mm-hmm. uh, is really necessary for daily survival mm-hmm. and so um, this compassion towards yourself, if you have enough compassion towards yourself, mm-hmm. um, a lot of these things become less necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have this feeling of being good enough in mm-hmm. itself, um, then it is uh, unnecessary to go beyond what you really need. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the same way, um, if you can muster the compa- uh, compassion towards yourself, mm-hmm. um, uh, you can see your own situation in a more realistic way and it means that if you're being subhuman if you're not um, uh, taking enough care of your own health yeah uh, you'll be able to take a realistic view at that and say like okay well uh, i assess my health like this mm-hmm. uh, i would like to be there i'm mm-hmm. now going to take the steps to mm-hmm. work towards that goal so this is where i am this is where i want to be exactly this is how i'm going to achieve that change yeah um Either overachieving or mm. turning completely away from uh, from any type of um, health mm-hmm. uh, um, health motivated uh, exercise mm-hmm. or, or movement um, <clears throat> is usually by a lack of compassion towards self. Mm-hmm. Either driving yourself and saying like, "Oh, I'm not good enough. I I need to be able to achieve that," mm-hmm. or saying like, "Oh." I'm not good enough. I'm afraid of judgment. Let me stay away mm-hmm. from it altogether. Mm-hmm. And so being able to have that wholesome feel of being mm-hmm. good enough allows you to get a realistic assessment of mm-hmm. what you can and cannot do. Uh, set your goals and work towards those mm-hmm. goals. So how would you... I think, obviously, a, a certain amount of ambition is good and pushing yourself yep. towards things that you're not able to um, achieve in... The present state can be a good thing, but how would you assess whether or not what you're looking to do is achievable versus those things that are outside of the realms of capability? How would you kind of reconcile those differences? Because people, I mean, lots of self-worth is drawn from achievement and achievement in some instances involves achieving things, doing things that you didn't think you would be able to do. How would you say that you could reconcile pushing yourself to the edge of getting outside of your comfort zone to use that wonderfully cliched expression Mm. versus setting your sights on things that are wholly unrealistic 
how would you manage that that difference? How would you assess that difference? That's an interesting question. I would say <clears throat> it's not about um, it's not about that at all. Mm-hmm. I would say it's about getting a clear view of what you want. And mm-hmm. if it's clear what you want, mm-hmm. um, then um, you can set the the, mm-hmm. time, the steps to go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think part of the issue is these days that a lot of people are not sure about what they want, mm-hmm. and therefore they fill it with uh, with certain goals that might be either unachievable or too low to achieve. Um, that don't set any ambition. I think mm-hmm. that. Um, the um, if we develop our own sense of agency and mm-hmm. if we get clear on uh, on what we want and why we want it, mm-hmm. also not unimportant to mm-hmm. understand why you want certain mm-hmm. things, um, then things become achievable, mm-hmm. and then the pushing yourself is is much easier. And I actually did a post about this recently, where. Um, uh, people that um, set goals that are um, not in line with what they want are people that have not completely figured out what they want yet. They mm-hmm. need to motivate themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need to say like, okay, I need to get up, I need to do this. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they need to create motivation. Mm-hmm. And motivation can evaporate very easily as yeah, well. Very, very quickly. Right? And is very much dependent on discipline. Mm-hmm. Um if you're clear on what you want exactly, then motivation becomes purpose, mm-hmm. and uh, motivation will be much more intrinsic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does not stay an inter- uh, external trick, but it mm-hmm. becomes an intrinsic uh, uh, thing that you have. You know mm-hmm. where you're going, and so it's to drive a- to get somewhere as yeah. opposed to having to push yourself to do it. Exactly. Pull versus push. Yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I like to say extern- uh, external versus intrinsic. Mm-hmm. So I, I prefer intrinsic motivation mm-hmm. because of clear purpose mm-hmm. much more over like, okay, um, let's um, motivate myself by uh, watching at uh, images of mm-hmm. uh, skinny people and yeah. try to get skinny as well. Yeah. Right? Um, and um, yeah, or motivational quotes or yeah. whatever, right? It's YouTube all videos, external. Yep. Yes, it's all external. Well, if you're clear on your purpose, you know where you're going, you can set out the steps mm-hmm. and you go, mm-hmm. right? Regardless of what's in your way or what's in your path. Do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> interestingly, um, for me, um, uh, and in Movement Origins, mm-hmm. we have very clear goals. I've mm-hmm. defined very three very clear goals. Mm-hmm. Um, one is to be adaptable. Yep. Uh, one is to be free to play. Mm-hmm. And the third one is to grow gracefully. Mm-hmm. So to me, those goals are very clear. I don't want to grow old and be in pain mm-hmm. and um, have issues with uh, joints and everything. Um, I want to be free uh, mentally as well as physically mm-hmm. to engage in any game at any time. Yeah. Where um, I'm not afraid to get injured or not afraid to not embarrassed to do it mm-hmm. or. Uh, uh, I want to be able to be silly. I want to be able to be free enough mm-hmm. to do that. And if something happens, I want to be able to move in ways that are necessary yep. 
I want to be able to help other people. So deal with what happens as it happens and exactly. then move forward through it. Yeah. Exactly. And you have this hilarious video sometimes here in China of people that forget their keys, try to climb on into a window, mm-hmm. fall out. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I would like to be able to solve these problems in physical ways if yeah. necessary. Mm-hmm. And um, um, so those three goals that are very clear to me, and mm-hmm. uh, but I'm in no rush to get there, mm-hmm. right? It's long-term goals. Mm-hmm. And so this is a very comforting thing as well. Uh, that means that I allow myself to go through fluctuations as well, which are part of life, yeah. right? And be okay with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the um, if you look at uh, many people that strive to be superhuman, mm-hmm. fluctuations are very hard for them. Mm-hmm. You gain a little bit of fat, it's devastating, mm-hmm. right? You lift a little bit less weight this week mm-hmm. than last week, it's hard, right? Yeah. And so this is um, uh, this is the way of uh, non-compassion mm-hmm. towards yourself, mm-hmm. right? Uh, this it's the that way feeling of, of needing to achieve all the time and exactly. seeing success as this kind of linear thing as yeah. opposed to understanding that as long as you're going in the right direction, if it's up, down... Exactly. It happens. That's okay. Yeah. yeah. It's fine. Right. And um, uh, like um, and like uh, Ido already told me, you mm-hmm. know, he's like, well, you lift for more weight or more reps, mm-hmm. it's a battle you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. Right? It's yeah. like, and there's no... Yeah. <laughs> it's not unlimited. Mm-hmm. You're going to get older. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, pursuing freedom to play, pursuing mm-hmm. adaptability mm-hmm. and pursuing growing all gracefully is something that's unlimited. Mm-hmm. And uh, so even though sometimes I might not lift as much as other days, mm-hmm. right? Because of course I still lift, it's important. Yeah. Um, even though sometimes I uh, might be completely out of running shape mm-hmm. and have to build it back up. Mm-hmm. Even though sometimes um, um, uh, I gain a little fat, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't matter if you look at the long-term goals, right? So um, right now my spine health is better mm-hmm. than uh, six years ago. Yeah. Right now my wrists are stronger than six mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, more mobility, more strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now my hips are more healthy than a few years ago. Yeah. Right. It's all long-term goals, mm-hmm. and sometimes you do it a little more, sometimes you do it a little mm-hmm. less. But as long as you keep the long-term line in sight. Um, it's all good. Mm-hmm. So you made you've been in China since two thousand and four. Yeah. And in that time, you I mean, you came out here initially with a focus on martial arts and as an architect. Yeah. And you've transitioned into this more human movement um, focused practice. Yep. How how did you manage that transition? Because. I I transitioned from biology into finance into the military and now I'm teaching. So yeah. it's kind of been a wild ride and I will happily admit that my goals have not always been clearly defined, hence why I've done sure. all of these things. Yeah. How did you identify that you wanted to make that transition in the first place? I mean, obviously, movement has been an important part of your life because you've been involved in martial arts and martial arts are very much about the movement of the body and the discipline involved with improving in a practice. How was it that you found that you were being an architect, you were an architect and you reconciled the, the need to transition? How did you identify that goal? Well, first of all, who says that I transitioned? 
Fair point, right? Yeah. <laughs> the um, I think uh, in general we can say we're all human beings. Yep. Uh, that go um, that gather knowledge and mm-hmm. wisdom over the term of our life mm-hmm. and the way that we um, that we um, uh, aggregate that. Yep. knowledge and wisdom can mm-hmm. come out in different ways but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that you've given that part up of yourself right so uh, this is actually very interesting because this goes back to the specialization yep. that we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. um, back in hunter-gatherer days there mm-hmm. were no specialists you know we all did everything Generous. and yeah. Um, yeah and um, uh, the higher our population density gets and the higher mm-hmm. our population uh, our um, competition gets mm-hmm. therefore um, the more we need to specialize, mm-hmm. right? But uh, and therefore, <clears throat> oftentimes we also attach our identity to our specialization. Mm-hmm. So I used to do this very strongly. Mm-hmm. So there, there's my transition, right? Mm-hmm. I used to very much identify myself as a martial artist. Mm-hmm. I used to carry all my gear around. Uh, I was always on my way to training. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, the last 10 years of my martial arts uh, intense martial arts practice I did kendo mm-hmm. um, was trying to get on the Dutch national team mm-hmm. for the world championships in 2009 didn't make it not mm-hmm. good enough mm-hmm. but um, the, um, uh, nonetheless I trained very uh-huh. hard like up to five times a week mm-hmm. um, and um, yeah my, my whole identity revolved around that so mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't drink super straight, mm-hmm. never did any drugs, mm-hmm. um, you know, like very much like martial arts type mm-hmm. idea, discipline, mm-hmm. do this and that, always go to training, mm-hmm. uh, overcome your pain, mm-hmm. overcome your fears, blah, blah, blah. And um, after I did not make it to the world championships, um, I, I had to sit down and I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Mm-hmm. Right, uh, training so many times a week with such a high specialization mm-hmm. um, leaves marks on your body. Mm-hmm. Um, you specialize, you pay the price, mm-hmm. and um, the um, so yeah, lots of lopsidedness, mm-hmm. injuries, uh, etc. Um, and so I was like, okay, I need to find a more holistic way of mm-hmm. moving. So uh, that's in a way how I found MoveNet. Mm-hmm. Uh, natural movement mm-hmm. and you are a level 3 certified yes. and you are one of the only is it 18 in the world or 13 in the world yeah something like that yeah. I don't know I don't keep count actually mm-hmm. so every year a couple more uh, yep. certified but the, mm-hmm. the, the pool is very small for mm-hmm. level 3 uh, but I'm the representative in Asia basically mm-hmm. so I organize the certifications here and mm-hmm. can teach the certifications mm-hmm. um and um, yeah, I, I got into that in 2012, yep. basically, and I was like, I need to find a more holistic way of moving mm-hmm. because my body is falling apart. Yeah. And um, and any person that has competed on top level will tell you this, you know. Oh, the you physical to, toll on your body is enormous. Yeah, yeah. The pressure of competition mm-hmm. and uh, the, the specialization, the repetition, mm-hmm. the high amount of repetition. Mm-hmm. Is, it's it's a lot, and so uh, I found movement. I started training that uh, as well as kendo, and um, then um, uh, I got really absorbed into that philosophy. So, mm-hmm. what is our body actually designed to do? Yeah, right. So, how are we supposed to move as opposed to how are we moving? 
exactly mm -hmm. what are the differences mm -hmm. between our evolutionary heritage yep. and the way that we're moving now and uh, a couple of very interesting things came together then you know um, mm -hmm. a lot of times uh, people and martial artists they talk about like body and mind should be one mm -hmm. uh, blah 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 I say bullshit it's mm -hmm. not untrue mm -hmm. but um, they forget the most important uh, element or mm -hmm. most important one of the most important mm -hmm. elements which is the environment yeah right body mind and environment mm -hmm. should actually become one mm-hmm uh, so how how would you define environment in this context? Is this in, in the, terms of your immediate surroundings or when you're practicing? In the widest way possible. Okay. Right? In martial arts, your mm -hmm. opponent can be the environment. Mm -hmm. Right? In, um, uh, in natural movement, your environment is the environment. Mm -hmm. Whether you're on a flat floor yep. or in a riverbed, yep. it makes a huge difference for mm -hmm. your movement. Um, and um, in um, uh, you might be in situations where it's a combination mm -hmm. right, of those things mm -hmm. um, in a ball game the ball might be a very important mm -hmm. part of your environment yep. and so uh, yeah anything that you interact with is part of your environment mm -hmm. and uh, we as humans have basically eliminated the environment yes right uh, we made all the floors flat, we made all our bars round, mm -hmm. uh, we cladded uh, things that we need to hold with some rubber or a soft mm -hmm. foam. Um, and we and are... Smooth off all the edges. Exactly. Yeah. And in the process, we're making ourselves less resilient. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Or fragile. Yeah. Um, so, um, and this, um, this insight uh, brought together a bit of my passion for movement mm -hmm. um, and my architecture background mm -hmm. as well. There's actually this very interesting... Uh, so, and now I'm going to weave in a little bit uh, psychological part. Please of do. Mm -hmm. So, um, I... After... Uh, when was this? After 2014, yep. I started going in depth on a lot of uh, personality development mm -hmm. theories um, mm -hmm. from... Um, and you did a psychoanalysis course at yeah uh, University Amsterdam. of Amsterdam yep. yeah short course that mm -hmm. was fun but I was already pretty deep in by mm -hmm. that time so uh, I did uh, two years of therapy mm -hmm. myself mm -hmm. and psychotherapy mm -hmm. which was very very helpful and in addition I read a lot of materials mm -hmm. um, and eventually ended up reading works of uh, Winnicott mm -hmm. um, and Bobby Ainsworth mm -hmm. um, on uh, personality development mm -hmm. and, and a lot of self-help books mm -hmm. or early self-help yep. books which is are actually some of the best things um, like The Secret or something like that no 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 way no, before that way before, way before. Yep. yeah no The Secret I, I don't yeah, take to those things <laughs> yep no um, The Road Less Traveled okay. Scott Pack mm -hmm. um, uh, I don't that one myself so I'm going to write that one down yeah gets a bit religious in the end which might not be for everyone but if you see through that if it's you very, through very that, interesting yeah. yeah talks a lot about what love is mm-hmm and how we experience it um, uh, on becoming a person mm -hmm. uh, also a very cool book so these very early self-help books from the 60s when actually the term self-help didn't exist mm -hmm. yet but it was just these psychotherapists and, and uh, that started seeing these trends and started writing about it and mm -hmm. um, yeah um, and often very relevant still because mm -hmm. they write about such base things um, 
and yeah, uh, fundamentally we haven't changed an awful lot since these no. yeah. these books have been written, have we? So no, like not really. Evergreen. Well, yeah, we can carry over intelligence, but we cannot carry over wisdom, really. Yes. Right. Yeah. So every person has to acquire that for mm-hmm. himself or herself. Um, so I started weaving this in, and then I also started understanding that um, uh, not only do we take away from our physical resilience mm-hmm. when we don't move in an environment that's full of variation. Mm-hmm. Let me go a little deeper into that. Sure. So um, imagine you walk on a flat floor. Yeah. Yep. It means in padded shoes, mm-hmm. right? It means that your ankle gets only used to certain angles mm-hmm. because all the differentiations mm-hmm. in angles are absorbed all the by your shoes. taken out. Yep. Yep. Uh, and the minimal differentiations that the pavement gives you. Mm-hmm. Right? And so your feet become weak, your ankles mm-hmm. become only strong in one position mm-hmm. if they're strong. Compare that to walking on a forest floor or mm-hmm. through a riverbed where every movement your um, your ankle and your foot have to adapt mm-hmm. to uh, and you walk there barefoot uh, every movement your foot and your ankle have to adapt and it means that in every angle they become strong mm-hmm. right also means that you have a strong sense of responsibility for every step you take mm-hmm. or in other words mindfulness mindfulness yeah yes something that we're completely missing here mm-hmm. you can walk in the streets type on your phone and that's completely fine completely disconnected from the world around you yeah you, you survive just, just fine mm-hmm. um, and but uh, you run through a riverbed not gonna happen not gonna happen yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so um, uh, you could say okay there's one link to psychology right mm-hmm. we're coming less linked to our physical nature mm-hmm. right and our physical adaptability uh, but there's something else um, under the pressure of uh, of uh, the market and mm-hmm. commercialism, um, we constantly invent new products. We constantly redesign our environment, mm-hmm. right? And uh, there's this very interesting uh, philosopher, mm-hmm. architect. I think he's also an architect, uh, Mark Auger, mm-hmm. uh, who writes about non-places, okay, which are places where all um, uh, the um, cultural reference has been mm-hmm. taken out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like. Um, uh, airports, business hotels, okay, shopping so it's a malls. place in location only. It's purely utility. Yeah, and it mm-hmm. can be anywhere, mm-hmm. right? There's no cultural or human reference. Mm-hmm. There's like, uh, you know, Apple Store. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Apple Store. You have no idea in what country you are. When yeah, you're standing yeah, in Apple true, Store, right? Yeah, there's and all of this um, is in a way done to facilitate you buying things or you getting to your uh, airplane as soon as possible. Playing with consumer psychology. Yeah, but mostly it's driven by sales, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Whether it's to get you easier on a flight, Mm -hmm. make life uh, easier on a flight, uh, or make you uh, get a hotel room where you feel comfortable, where you have no anxiety of whether it's going to be clean or not, or whether um, it is buying that uh, iPad, right? Mm Everything is made to minimize your anxieties Mm -hmm. and make you buy something, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so this is in a way how our economy works. You want to have a product that sells well, you make sure it makes what people would usually say makes life easier, Mm -hmm. but actually it's about taking away some anxieties that you have. Like removing the barriers to the sale from a psychological standpoint. Exactly. Look at Ulema, you know, before you had to go out. Yep. 
that's already a barrier. Yep. You have to talk to someone, mm -hmm. that's a barrier, mm -hmm. right? Because uh, the social interaction, the social cost. Yeah. Yep. Now you press some buttons on your app, mm -hmm. right? A guy comes to your door that delivers it. You often don't even look him in the face, yep. right? You just take the package and he's gone. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you don't have to have any interaction. More often than not, sometimes it's actually cheaper to order the same thing that you would have bought out, yep. but have it delivered. Yep. Somehow. Yep. yep. <laughs> sure. And so um, all the spaces that we design, mm -hmm. uh, all the products that we design mm -hmm. are actually making life more comfortable mm -hmm. or in a way taking away variation from mm -hmm. our environment. Mm -hmm. Right? And therefore making us less resilient, yep. not only in a physical way, mm -hmm. but also in a mental way. Because yeah. if you don't need any social interaction anymore yeah. to survive, where are you going to learn to have yeah, good social interaction? And I think removing that, the anxiety, as you say, when when you're faced with something that puts you in that anxious mindset where you are not sure of what to do in a situation or how to interact with someone in a situation yep. because you are exposed to that so infrequently now because everything yep. is made so easy. And suddenly the anxiety becomes very high exactly. at that point, just like for your ankle. Yep. If your ankle is only strong in one angle, mm -hmm. right, and suddenly it's put in another angle, in another angle it's like, then boom, what it snaps. Yep. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and maybe you're familiar with this book that I uh, like to mm -hmm. refer to in this type, uh, in this uh, reference, which mm -hmm. is um, uh, Anti-Fragility or Anti-Fragile by uh, Nassim Nicholas, uh, what's his last name again? Uh, uh, I'll look it up for you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Nassim. <laughs> um, so... I didn't like his writing. I mm -hmm. think uh, he is a sort of unpleasant person. Mm -hmm. but, uh, <laughs> uh, he makes very good points. Yeah. So this whole theory, uh, theory about anti-fragility that mm -hmm. really sort of uh, hit the nail down for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, that really made me see like how we actually shield ourselves against a lot of variation, a lot of anxiety, and therefore become more fragile. Mm -hmm. Uh, mentally as well as physically. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I also always like to make the comparison here uh, with the foot. Mm -hmm. right? uh, most people, they keep their feet clad in mm -hmm. shoes most of the time. And as a result, our feet become weak. Yeah. Uh, the um, same as if you would have your arm in a cast mm -hmm. after breaking it. You know, you take the cast yeah, off for six months. Yeah. yeah, it's uh, very immobile. It's mm -hmm. stiff and you lose all strength. Mm -hmm. right? And the same is happening to our feet. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so... Um, if you take people that have worn shoes for a long time mm -hmm. and you let them walk on a little bit rocky surface, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> what happens is that they it's very painful, mm -hmm. right? Extremely painful. Some people can't stand it. Mm -hmm. um, and but when you practice it for a while, mm -hmm. if you expose your feet to variation slowly mm -hmm. in a very controlled exposure to controlled the way, of discomfort, yeah. yep. scaling it, yep. um, uh, you can actually make your feet strong again. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, like these stones, they feel like an offense to your feet. Mm -hmm. It feels your foot, in a way, your, the sole of your foot takes it personal, mm -hmm. right? So you're, you're, experiencing, you're experiencing pain and whether that pain is physical in this instance because you're working on something that is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable because you've never experienced it before. It, it is physical. It yeah. is physical. No, no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. 
but uh, because of the pain, mm-hmm. your foot cannot differentiate a lot of subtleties, mm-hmm. right? Now, if you build it up and you make your foot stronger again and more resilient mm-hmm. again, the pain slowly goes away. Mm-hmm. Things are not as painful anymore, mm-hmm. right? And at the same time, you're able to distinguish all these different subtleties in the floor that you could not you differentiate the stimulation before. Yeah. So, interestingly, as things become less painful, mm-hmm. it becomes more sensitive. Yep. Right? Resolution improves. Yes. Yep. And the sole in our foot is in many ways the same as our sole on the inside. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, when you have a lot of anxiety, mm-hmm. a lot of interactions, a lot of small things in the world are very painful. Everything provokes that pain response. Yeah, yep, exactly. And everything is personal. Mm-hmm. Everything is an offense to mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so as you slowly start to make yourself more vulnerable, right? And that's interesting. Vulnerability is also mm-hmm. an interesting concept, but you take off your shoe. It's also a sense of vulnerability, mm-hmm. right? It's exposing yourself to the outside world. Yeah. Exactly. As you make yourself more vulnerable, little by little, because mm-hmm. you should not do that in one go all the way, um, you will see that actually uh, you can be accepted as a person mm-hmm. with your vulnerabilities mm-hmm. as well. And as your pain and your, your sense of personal offense starts to mm-hmm. ebb away, you're suddenly able to differentiate many more layers of feeling mm-hmm. and emotion. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, I, I, I don't know, I love that it's both called soul. You know, yeah. and there's so many. So it works, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, once, as you say, as you're able to continually expose yourself to those things that are painful initially, you're able to better sift through what sort of pain it is. So yeah. whether it's mild discomfort in the I'm here and this is something that's telling me maybe this isn't where I'm supposed to be, versus I definitely need to move, or this is something that's manageable. It's being able to um, understand and realize that there are those differences. And as you say, like yeah. continued exposure is the only way that you can do that. And But also, if your foot is so mm-hmm. weak uh, or your ego is so fragile mm-hmm. that everything feels painful, mm-hmm. uh, it's very difficult to feel joy. Yeah, It's very difficult to feel... Because you shut out one emotion. You cannot choose to shut out one emotion. Mm-hmm you shut out your emotional life mm-hmm. or not, mm-hmm. right? And um, if all your emotions, like your foot, mm-hmm. right, cramping up, if all your emotions are defensive, mm-hmm. um, uh, there's very little place for joy mm-hmm. or happiness or sadness mm-hmm. or... Um, the whole raft of emotions. Yes, yeah. exactly. Same. Do you think that there is a place for a, a little bit of ego from an accountability standpoint? So I've, I've found personally that when I've been in a position where my ego has taken over, for example, my first few jobs out of university, if you look at them on the face of them, they are near enough entirely ego-driven. I went from biology into IT consultancy and I enjoyed the job, but then I went to oil broking. Oil broking is the sort of thing you say, as oh, I'm an oil broker, and it kind of it makes you feel good about yourself because sure. I'm doing something that not many people are, but... I wasn't particularly satisfied and I ended up hating the job. The guys who were doing the job were fantastic. I have nothing bad to say about them, but in terms of what it gave me, it didn't give me what I needed. Same goes for the Marines. There's the military and then there's the Marines and there's that sort of a certain amount of mystique around them. I found that if I've chosen things purely on the basis of ego, for example, 
broking because I wanted to make a load of money and I wanted mm-hmm. to be a broker mm-hmm. versus the Marines where it was something that I wanted to do because I wanted to see if I was able to do it. Mm-hmm. Do you think the ego can be used for accountability if it's kept in check? Do you think it's something that can be used to give you that little bit of a check so you're you're doing okay at the moment, you're doing well, that's fine, but you could be doing more. Do you think that that's something that could be managed? If you're mindful of it, being able to take over. I think so. I don't think ego is bad. No. Mm-hmm. At all. Um, ego helps us survive. Mm-hmm. Ego can help us be mm-hmm. accountable. Mm-hmm. I think uh, that uh, an ego can be either fragile or resilient, mm-hmm. just like our body. Mm-hmm. A fragile ego usually... Well, a uh, fragile ego can thrive. You know, mm-hmm. look at uh, Trump. His ego is very fragile. <laughs> yep. Right? Yet, he made it into the presidency. Mm-hmm. I doubt he's very happy most of the time. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, despite of what he may claim. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, especially in this world where specialization and being special is so important, mm-hmm. sometimes a fragile ego might help you go to incredible heights, mm-hmm. you know, career-wise. Mm-hmm. For me, uh, accountability, I, I, actually, I'm not completely clear on mm-hmm. what you mean with that. Okay. Um, but, uh, I would say that, um, um, yeah, please explain mm-hmm. a little bit more. So here, by accountability in this instance, I mean that personal accountability such that I found that my ego can drive me to do things that, as we were speaking about before, are just not necessary. Mm-hmm. Pushing myself to an extent why it's like, yeah, it's good for my ego. It makes me feel mm-hmm. good about myself. But yeah. in terms of the necessity of what it is that I'm doing, it doesn't add anything positive to my life and sure. it can end up being quite negative. Yep. I've also found that it keeps me in check when I'm in a position where I am comfortable and I'm starting to get comfortable with being comfortable. I'm happy where I am yeah. and I'm starting to kind of settle in and shield myself from the, the things that make me uncomfortable, shield myself yeah. from the stimulus on the floor, yeah. putting my shoes on as it were. And I found that my ego in that sense can also make me realize what is going on. It can keep me mindful of that closing off that personal closing off is that something that you've experienced or that you think is something that kind of can work if you're mindful of it yeah I'm considering whether I want to call that ego or not Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so first um, let me take it back a little to what we discussed before yep where you're more clear or less clear on what you want Mm -hmm. right um, and why you want it. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, without doubt, you thought you wanted to be an oil broker. Mm-hmm. The insight that that was uh, because it made you feel special mm-hmm. uh, probably came later, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. After you went through some mm-hmm. uh, uh, more or lesser trauma. Um, and then you started thinking about like, oh, what actually was I doing at that mm-hmm. time, right? Same as my uh, understanding that my identity attachment to a martial artist came yeah. much later, mm-hmm. right? After I already let it go, mm-hmm. partially. And so, um, in that sense, at that time, we had not figured out what we wanted. Mm-hmm. And therefore, our decisions were ego-driven. Mm-hmm. 
right? Where it, or I would like to say, fragile ego driven. Yep. Right? Where you have a lack of identity mm-hmm. and therefore you attach it to something that you think gives you value. Mm-hmm. Right? And so uh, the more resilient your ego is, mm-hmm. the more you also know what you want. Yep. And therefore, your decisions become uh, much more towards purpose than towards um, uh, filling in the gaps of your fragile ego. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, and this journey is lifelong. And also here, we fluctuate in and out, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, sometimes we might find ourselves in a vulnerable spot because our ego is not also not continuously in one state mm-hmm. right you might throw go through crises where your ego is more fragile you might mm-hmm. go through um, uh, times where your ego is more strong mm-hmm. and resilient and so um, at those times you will do things from different motivations mm-hmm. but it's that awareness of your motivation Mm -hmm. that can bring you back to where you want to be. Mm -hmm. So if you decide to step out of your comfort zone or you don't decide to step out Mm -hmm. of your comfort zone, what I think uh, should be done is some introspection Mm -hmm. on why that is. Mm -hmm. Then you can decide to be compassionate uh, to watch yourself Mm -hmm. or push yourself. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're in such a stressful situation Mm -hmm. That you go like, it's okay to retreat a little at yes. this time, you know. Mm-hmm. That is fine because I need that because I need to deal with this other and shit. In take my life. that step back. Yeah. Deal with it. Yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So exposing yourself continuously and trying to push yourself continuously mm-hmm. is usually not a great strategy, mm-hmm. right? Um, I. Um, I took on a new job about six, seven months ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the first months of that job, it was extremely stressful. Mm -hmm. Working nine till two at night Mm -hmm. and um, like um, uh, deadlines, investors, pressure. Um, It was, uh, I lost a few years of my life there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. If I worked out, if I did movement, mm-hmm. right, I'm not gonna go into a like full-on CrossFit competitive heavy weight workout. Mm-hmm. That makes no sense. Mm-hmm. It's punishing yourself again mm-hmm. in a way, right, and making yourself feel externally either good enough or not good enough. Mm-hmm. So I do very easy things. I do things where I make a lot of progress. So mm-hmm. that means the things that I'm really bad at. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm I'm very, I have three major gaps in my movement. Mm-hmm. One is swimming. Okay. Yep. <laughs> One is anything that involves balls. Mm-hmm. That sounds bad, but it's uh, like um, like strictly uh, in the sporting sense. Of yeah, course. exactly. <laughs> uh, like uh, anything with a football or mm-hmm. basketball. I like yeah. And uh, third one is dancing. Uh huh. I so, appreciate that one wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so you know, in those times. I'm not going to do a heavy workout. I just mm-hmm. play around with the ball a little. Mm-hmm. Or I practice some dance steps in mm-hmm. my hotel room. Mm-hmm. You know, and see if I can catch rhythms and mm-hmm. things. And it's slightly outside the comfort zone, but it's also very safe. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not pushing myself to crazy physical exertion mm-hmm. because I know how much stress I'm already under. Yeah. 
So using the those the, the low hanging fruit, as it were, the things yeah. that you know you have a large amount of improvement that you can achieve in, and going after those things yeah. and using those as a way of managing the other stresses. Absolutely, feeling like you're making meaningful progress in one yeah. area, which you can then carry over yes. into the stress. Yeah, fuck it. Sometimes you just want to curl up in bed and yeah. watch a movie. You <laughs> <Yep>. know, <laughs> like. Uh, but as long as you're aware of this situation, mm-hmm. and as long as you're uh, understand what stresses are mm-hmm. playing on your body. I think that um, you can find a meaningful balance and mm-hmm. pick it up when the, when the life gets a little bit easier, again, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, that's also course. what I said before with long term goals, mm-hmm. right? So and the the goal is to be able to do these things indefinitely, as opposed to yeah. as you say, performing at the highest level in sport. The toll on your body is enormous. Yes, you're not physically able to do that for an extended period of time. Yes. So being able yep. to keep these things going longer term, and or to do it while other things are going mm-hmm. on in your life, yeah. Right? And this is where sports sometimes also becomes a, um, a movement becomes a um, a uh, a um, uh, opioid for people, mm-hmm. right? People that are gym addicted. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, I used to smoke, but now I go to the gym no, every day. The gym instead, yeah. Yeah. And yes, it might be the lesser one of the vices, mm-hmm. but you're still addicted. It's still a vice, yeah. Yes, it, well, I would say it's still a painkiller, mm-hmm. right? Smoking as well mm-hmm. as going to the gym. Anything that's compulsive is a painkiller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so uh, compulsive progress mm-hmm. is a painkiller. Uh, Do you think that, that that compulsive need for progress is because we lack the ability to truly introspect. So you mentioned earlier um, being able to take that moment for some introspection and being able to identify the stresses, whether they're internal stresses versus external stresses, and then figure out your goals, figure out what it is that you want to do. Do you think that the this compulsive need to achieve, so be that, or to do, is down to a lack of ability that people have to sit with themselves. Yeah. How, how would you manage someone, how would you manage transitioning from someone who's like, I don't know what I want, so I'm going to fill my life with stuff, be that sport or smoking or drinking or partying or reading, like under the guise of personal development, I'm going to read 50 books this year because that's going to make me better. As opposed to like, why am I doing it? How how can how could you develop that introspection if you're not comfortable with it? Because obviously, if you're not capable of introspection and you're not capable of sitting with yourself, that's going to be causing you some degree of discomfort. How would you manage that? I don't know. Uh, so, um, well, I believe that every person is different. Uh huh. And that every person, therefore, needs a different approach to yep. this. And um, it's all about scalability, mm-hmm. right? Uh, just like with exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, but the key is that people need to feel safe enough to start introspecting. Mm-hmm. And the key to feeling safe enough is empathy. Mm-hmm. Right? So um, if people don't have any compassion towards themselves, or in other words, if they don't have an internal secure base, mm-hmm. they need an external secure base first. Mm-hmm. And that secure base can come in many different forms. 
right? Can be community, can mm-hmm. be sports, can mm-hmm. be a therapist, mm-hmm. can be um, any place where you feel some sort of acceptance and a, a place of belonging, right? A sense of belonging uh, can give you some external secure base. And that external secure base need to maintain be maintained long enough mm-hmm. until you can form an internal secure base from where you can start to introspect. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that is the general abstract outline mm-hmm. of it. But how that secure base gets formed will differ from mm-hmm. individual to individual. Do you meditate? I uh, started picking it up again a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, to me, meditation comes in many different forms mm-hmm. as well. Not that strict sense of sitting down on a cushion with your legs crossed, going on. Yeah. yeah. It can be useful sometimes yep. because it's very concentrated and isolated, mm-hmm. right? But uh, that type of meditation is also like isolated mm, muscle training. Mm-hmm. It's great if you want to get that one muscle stronger, mm-hmm. but how do you apply that in real life, mm-hmm. right? And um, so um, it's like the monk on the mountain. Mm-hmm. It's sort of easy to be a monk on a mountain mm-hmm. because you don't have any external influences. Yep. It's much harder to maintain the same state of mind while actually engaging in a mm-hmm. full-on life. Mm-hmm. Do you think that a practice like mindfulness or meditation could be a Step. good foundation yes. potentially for developing that introspection? Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, generally I prefer time in nature mm-hmm. right so time in nature often triggers introspection very mm-hmm. easy it's a very interesting book that lists a lot of the scientific research mm-hmm. this, um, it's called Your Brain on Nature mm-hmm. um, but uh, reading this coming here. <laughs> yeah, in Japan there's something they call Shinrin Yoku mm-hmm. and uh, it's forest bathing uh, freely I've heard of this yeah um, yeah, and uh, they did some research and it showed that uh, after a few minutes mm-hmm. in nature, basically your stress levels go drastically down. The green light seems to depress the activity of your sympathetic nervous system and upregulate your parasympathetic, slowing everything down. Uh, I, it, I think it's much more complex like that. Mm-hmm. Our symbiosis with nature is uh, manifold, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't think you can boil it down to light only or, um, you know... Yeah. There's, um, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, there's research that shows that uh, kids that have ADHD, uh, they do a cognitive test before, mm-hmm. then they let them walk for 20 minutes, one group uh, walks through the city, control mm-hmm. group walks through nature, they do a cognitive test again, mm-hmm. and it turns out that the kids that walk through nature uh, do just as well as, the, as if they were on the top two selling ADHD medicine. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Um, nature uh, drastically calms us down um, and therefore allows for a feeling of safety mm-hmm. tapping into the parasympathetic nervous system mm-hmm. indeed and um, therefore allowing some introspection mm-hmm. easier right mm-hmm. so much easier to sit in nature stare at the trees than to yeah. sit in the city which are phone nearby and mm-hmm. like yeah and all of the distractions thereafter yeah yes and so, so the um 
and it's interesting from an evolutionary point of view, mm-hmm. right? And they also did some research where they let people look at uh, pictures of nature and mm-hmm. pictures of the city, mm-hmm. and then they asked them about their life goals. And mm-hmm. the people that looked at pictures of nature had much more altruistic goals, mm-hmm. uh, revolving around community and uh, things like that, while people that looked at the city um, uh, had goals that revolved around gathering of wealth Not and personal achievement based. Yeah, in exactly material. Mm-hmm. Yep, and very individual. Mm-hmm. And so. To me, that makes complete sense mm-hmm. because it comes down to our human adaptability and our need for survival of mm-hmm. our genes, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. On your own in the jungle, you don't survive. Mm-hmm. But what do you need to create offspring in the city? You need wealth and status. Yeah, of course. Right? And so um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's no surprise to me. But um, uh, nature inspires mindfulness mm-hmm. and uh, it, it doesn't sorry it does not inspire it it forces it mm-hmm. like you say you know like we talked about before you can not walk on a rock bed yeah. and be not mindful mm-hmm. right so um, the um, uh, I think the disconnect from our environment mm-hmm. and not just our, our our moving environment but also our food environment mm-hmm. right we have a huge disconnect there as well yeah uh, it's oh, where does food come from it comes from the supermarket that's, that's obviously yeah. where it comes from yeah. yeah oh man there's interesting research about this mm-hmm. um, but um, disconnect from all those things makes us less resilient mm-hmm. and less resilience makes us more anxious right and more anxiety triggers the need for black and white mm-hmm. because from that loss of adaptability yep mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. loss of adaptability uh, but also uh, election of um, of leaders that think in terms of black and white mm-hmm. also opioid crisis mm-hmm. in the US also leftover men and women in mm-hmm. China you know like um, all these things are mm-hmm. to me an um, effect of high levels of anxiety mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, lack of resilience mm-hmm. due to a lack of um, of uh, variation yeah that disconnect between where we've come from versus where we are at the moment I mean living in Shanghai it's not exactly the most uh, green or natural environments not at all so the the pressures and the anxieties of living in a city like this and obviously I mean China is the one place I've been that I've never seen such concentrated use of tech yep like riding the metro here, yeah. seeing someone who isn't on their phone and is having a conversation is oh. can be quite surprising. Is yes, yes. it's so infrequent? Yep. So yep. Also, a nice way to close down and don't have to have conversations. Yeah, shut yourself off to the outside world yeah. by focusing entirely on your digital self versus your physical self. Yes. And therefore, also, suddenly meditation becomes a very interesting option. Mm-hmm. By to me, by lack of nature, mm-hmm. right. Um, I think that if we had more nature around us, meditation would be much less necessary. Mm-hmm. And um, you wouldn't need to take that time to force yourself per se. Yeah. To introspect. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And do you think that our forefathers meditated, right? Yeah. And, and this is actually, but and, but there's different forms of meditation in a mm-hmm. way. Like uh, I did a workshop with uh, Fighting Monkey. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of him? Not no. You would love them. Mm-hmm. Look them up. Fighting, Fighting Monkey. Monkey. Okay. 
and uh, Joseph, uh, it's a uh, fighting monkey consists out of Joseph and Linda, basically. Mm-hmm. And Joseph was saying, like, meditation in a way is just the derivative of hunting, mm-hmm. sitting still, watching, seeing if anything mm-hmm. moves. Like taking in all of the stimuli, not focusing on anything because then you'll miss something else and then... I'm not sure if I agree. I have different Mm -hmm. goals in my meditation, Mm -hmm. but it's an interesting perspective, Mm -hmm. right? To link it uh, Mm -hmm. to our evolutionary um, past that way. But I really believe that, you know, our forefathers didn't uh, didn't meditate, Mm -hmm. our forefathers didn't stretch, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, All these type of things Mm -hmm. are an invention of our modern society. Mm -hmm. But not without merit, because our environment, our diet, mm-hmm. our movement habits, our mental habits are not the same as our forefathers. Mm-hmm. So sometimes... We live in a fundamentally different society, yeah. Yeah. So sometimes you need to do more. Mm-hmm. Why do people need to stretch now? Because mm-hmm. they push themselves so incredibly beyond the limit in such a specialized small field mm-hmm. that, yeah, you need some preparation for mm-hmm. your body, Right. Um, uh, why do people need to meditate now? Because the world is so overwhelmingly anxious, mm-hmm. right? That sometimes you need to go back and refine your center, mm-hmm. right? So absolutely not without merit. Mm-hmm. But I believe that if you would have a different environment, uh, those things would be much less necessary. Mm-hmm. So creating the environment that is yeah. more beneficial for achieving those things without taking without having to take the time to deliberately sit down and do it. Craft the environment so it fosters it as opposed to having to force yourself to do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yes. And uh, I believe that it's not our nature to mm-hmm. do those things. Mm-hmm. I think that to do those things is a product of a modern society mm-hmm. that has created this environment. Mm-hmm. Right? Winston Churchill already said it, actually. Um, he said... Um, uh, we have designed our buildings and mm-hmm. thereafter they shape us. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. And also a very early book uh, by Desmond Morris, mm-hmm. uh, The Human Zoo, mm-hmm. also talks about this. Right. Mm-hmm. We as humans display symptoms that zoo animals display, mm-hmm. like anxiety, mm-hmm. depression, masturbation, like all these things. Never happened in the wild with normal animals. Mm-hmm. Only happens when you put animals in a zoo. Mm-hmm. So we don't live in a concrete jungle, mm-hmm. we live in a yeah. human zoo. Yeah, in a concrete cage per se. Yeah. Yes, there's a very important distinction to mm-hmm. me. And we have created that to ourselves. Mm-hmm. ourselves. This brings me on to something I did want to talk about. Actually, you're doing some work in China with very young learners, kindergartners. Yeah. And creating creating and holding space for them in a judgment free zone. Yeah. Could you could you tell me a little bit more about that? Because this this feels like it kind of leads on quite nicely from what we've been talking about in terms of creating that environment whereby you don't need to force yourself to do these things. You're yep. in an environment that kind of fosters them happening naturally. Yeah, absolutely. I can, and achieving this and achieving that. and Yeah, yep. which is no wonder, right, under the pressure of, oh, of course, population yeah. density. Um, and, um, uh, and then lastly, uh, there's a lack of examples. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, kids used to play with mixed age groups mm-hmm. um, where they could see all the kids do movements that they want to do as well and um, um, uh, they would see adults do things that they would imitate mm-hmm. right which is all now 
also gone. Like mm-hmm. kids are in split age groups. Um, usually their parents don't move very well. Usually the kindergarten teachers don't move very well. Mm-hmm. Right? And all of this uh, is because we, um, we realize that play is one of the most important things mm-hmm. that we can do in our youth. So um, if you know the the Chinese slogan of uh, mover of movement origins mm-hmm. you will also see it's um, if we haven't played we haven't met okay mm-hmm. right or if we haven't played we don't know each other mm-hmm. and I I sort of distorted that from the regular Chinese idiom that says mm-hmm. if we haven't fought we haven't met and okay. yep. um, so um, in play we have a chance to explore the relationship between inside and Mm -hmm. outside Um, the way we interact with uh, other people Mm -hmm. the way we interact with our environment the way we and through that we build our relationships Mm -hmm. with those things so we build a a relationship with ourselves we build a relationship with other people we Mm -hmm. build a relationship with food we build a relationship with with other things right Mm -hmm. with movement Mm -hmm. and um, so that relationship now is constantly distorted because of the lack of play, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, I was in this uh, swimming pool last week, working on one of those things that mm-hmm. I suck at, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I saw this private swimming class with this kid, and the teacher was just like punishing, like, yeah. "Oh, you're not doing this, you're doing so that." Why wrong. are you going faster? Why are you doing this? Yeah, yeah. Why are you not going at a constant speed? Why? And it's like. There's no space for the kid to explore their relationship with water, mm-hmm. with swimming, with movement. You mm-hmm. know, they just have the, they have only two options: be compliant mm-hmm. or be rebellious, mm-hmm. right? And that's also where we start to see that uh, what we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. where people either try to prove themselves and live up to the specialization and the hype, or they turn away from it completely. Shrink from it, yeah. Right? And that's where it starts mm-hmm. when they're kids. Mm-hmm. So, at Beijing Training, we said like, okay, if we want to save the world, we mm-hmm. better start with the kids mm-hmm. because it's like the adults. It's often hard to save them. Mm-hmm. And um, so we said, okay, so what they truly need is play. They need mm-hmm. to explore those relationships so that they become healthy relations, mm-hmm. healthy relationship with movement, mm-hmm. so that you can have a mover for life mm-hmm. rather than a specialist, mm-hmm. right? Someone um, enjoys movement for movement as opposed to associating it with the input of their teachers saying that they weren't good enough or something like that, yeah? Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly, mm-hmm. yes. Which means that either they're compliant and try harder, mm-hmm. or they're rebellious and they go like, "Yeah, no, I don't miss it for me." Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, so we need those healthy relationships. We also need healthy relationships with food, for instance. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing with food. Mm-hmm. Either people, you have people that emotionally eat. You have people that uh, also go like, "Hey." I'm healthy, I'm mm-hmm. going to do every meal paleo and they don't go out for dinner mm-hmm. with friends anymore yep. because, you know, oh, they might go to a non-paleo restaurant, right? And, clean. Yep. and yep. food becomes stressful, Yeah. right? And the worst thing that uh, breaks us down is stress, mm-hmm. whether that's, you know, when you're being healthy or... Mm-hmm. Being One of the guys of being healthy, yeah. Yep, exactly. And so kids need to explore those relationships and they can only do that in play. Mm-hmm. And uh, Donald Winnicott said this very nicely mm-hmm. when he said that um, uh, there's only one place where we, we can completely and creatively mm-hmm. ourselves, and that's in play. Mm-hmm. 
and um, the um, Donald Winnicott, by the way, was famous for being able to have one session with a child and mm-hmm. make lasting change mm-hmm. through that session. It was it's incredibly intimidating if you mm-hmm. want to step into those type of footsteps. Yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, but uh, so we decided play is the most important thing that mm-hmm. we need to get. And uh, but at the same time, we also saw that there's lack of examples, lack of environment, and so we said, okay, play. Uh, uh, where we're going to start is just physical play. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, this is what we're going to focus on because uh, from a business point of view that is also where there's a huge gap Mm -hmm. at the moment Uh, kindergartens they don't have any specialized physical educators Mm -hmm. so we said okay what is necessary to play we said okay environment Mm -hmm. is uh, important to explore rather than just flat floors right Um, the uh, mental space to play is important so Mm -hmm. no wrong or right movement Mm -hmm. Uh, just Just movement yeah just movement that achieves a goal or not Mm -hmm. right Um, uh, movement that's more efficient more effective Mm -hmm. more adaptable maybe Mm -hmm. but uh, there's no wrong or right if you make it work then you make it work yeah Um, and so judgment free space um, and um, and also examples Mm -hmm. right so that's what we set out to do. Um, we designed uh, equipment, mm-hmm. uh, and um, uh, I wrote a program uh, in which uh, we uh, teach kindergarten teachers to um, uh, to not judge the kids, to mm-hmm. give meaningful feedback, uh, positive or um, or constructive. Um, and we teach the kindergarten teachers how to move as well. And demonstrate, mm-hmm. so they can be examples, mm-hmm. both in communication and in movement. And in movement as well. Yeah, and so the um, uh, we only teach like six basic movements that mm-hmm. we link to some modalities mm-hmm. like agility, power, strength, uh, things like that, mm-hmm. coordination, and um, and we give them programming based mm-hmm. on this. We have devised an assessment that doesn't feel like an assessment to the mm-hmm. kids, a little obstacle course where mm-hmm. they have a storyline. And they run through it, and so they feel like they're completing an adventure. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, we take some numbers, mm-hmm. right? So the big data we give to uh, to the kindergarten, so they can make uh, policy decisions based mm-hmm. on those. And uh, to the parents, we send a little video of the kids doing the uh, obstacle mm-hmm. course and explain them about movement maturity mm-hmm. and how uh, kids go through this process of developing that. Mm-hmm. So that they don't break the kids down into numbers, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, like, oh, it's like, oh, my child is here in the class or there in the class or what was the average and things like yeah. that. Yeah, that. But also, if you really understand movement development, you know mm-hmm. that sometimes a kid might make a jump in their development, which actually means that their scores are going backward because mm-hmm. they're learning something new, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, just looking at the numbers gives such an incomplete picture. Yeah. And um, looking at a video of your child doing certain movements is so much more meaningful. Mm-hmm. And with that, we give some explanation of all the maturity phases mm-hmm. of each movement that they do, and which helps parents understand the process much more. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, based on that, uh, we give the parents uh, videos of games that they can play with their kids. Mm-hmm. And so the games are... Based uh, the big games that we recommend are based on the scores of the kids, and in that way we sort of uh, 
trick the parents into believing that these games will improve the scores of their kids. <laughs> Actually, it's not a trick. Hopefully, they will. But the main point of the games is that they're designed in such a way that mm-hmm. the parent has to adjust constantly yep. to the level of the kid. And uh, this is something very important mm-hmm. because that constant attunement between parent and child mm-hmm. actually is the base of empathy, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so um, we saw that uh, that uh, that is something that um, that uh, we can use more of, like mm-hmm. we said earlier, right? To give kids a secure base, to give people a secure mm-hmm. base, empathy is the key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right and that leads to introspection and mm-hmm. that even eventually leads to finding your sense of agency mm-hmm. and that eventually leads to happiness mm-hmm. yeah. or at least um, uh, forms of happiness mm-hmm. and uh, waves of happiness yeah, of happiness is also not constant and so um, yeah that's basically where we where mm-hmm. we start awesome oh. so we spoke before about um, mental health yeah. And specifically, like the struggles that I've had in terms of leaving the Marines and then the, the issues that you've had going through a divorce and then having therapy and things like that. One of the the biggest killers of young men under the age of, th- age of 45 is suicide now. Um, mm. Obviously, there's this, as we spoke about again, the disconnect between us and our environment and kind of living in uh, a very artificial environment versus a more natural environment. And your practice of movement having a beneficial impact on on your mental health. Going through the, the struggles that you've had, like when you're working through therapy, for example, again, if you don't mind me asking... Nope, How did no. you find that your your um, your movement practice was was useful in dealing with those struggles? What was it about the practice that was useful? Interesting. I have not viewed back on this uh, mm-hmm. for a while. I at that time I knew that movement made me happy. Mm-hmm. That is partially because I attached my identity very much to it. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, after I got divorced, I actually joined capoeira classes. Mm-hmm. Made me feel like a complete idiot. Like mm-hmm. I was so bad at it. But, uh, <laughs> Is that one of the, uh, the areas of improvement the dancing aspect? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, but uh, capoeira especially was very important uh, mm-hmm. at the time, because uh, capoeira is not just about movement. It's also about community mm-hmm. and about uh, uh, making music together, mm-hmm. um, finding a rhythm together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and therefore, everybody has their place in the roda, in, mm-hmm. uh, in a circle that you make for capoeira, where people play within. And uh, everybody has uh, meaning in the roda and, and, um, and value in the mm-hmm. roda. So uh, that comes back to the place of belonging mm-hmm. that, uh, that I was talking about earlier. So it was very, very important at that time to me. Um, and, um, uh, and in addition, they have this saying in, um, in Portuguese... Mm-hmm. It says Kim canta se os males espanta, which mm-hmm. means he who sings sings their wo- who scares their woes away. Mm-hmm. And um, I like that. yeah, it's I found that very healing as well, the singing capoeira. Mm-hmm. But um, physicality in general, um, and making progress in something in general mm-hmm. that is not related to uh, the trouble that you're going through mm-hmm. can be very helpful, right? So. Um, 
whenever one part in life is difficult, it's always helpful to find a safe place in mm-hmm. another part of life, as long as it doesn't become an escape. Yes. Right? So it can very much uh, enforce uh, the creation of a secure base mm-hmm. to uh, find something where it can be physical. That, and of course, all the hormonal responses that you get from physicality that help you uplift as mm-hmm. well. There's plenty of research that shows that the more depressed you get, the less likely you are to move, and mm-hmm. the more you move, the less likely you are to get depressed, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's linked to hormonal responses, mm-hmm. it's linked to just a sense of progress, it's linked to uh, just the idea of taking care of yourself in mm-hmm. some way or another. Um, there's, there's so many links, so there's no doubt it's helpful to, to do any kind mm-hmm. of movement, um, to feel mm-hmm. a sense of self-worth mm-hmm. as well, right? And if you do team sports or sports where you're in close contact, mm-hmm. right, that sense of community, mm-hmm. sense of belonging is super important as well. And interestingly, I think that uh, uh, a lot of this can be uh, uh, linked or can be um, the need for this, the surging need for this can also be linked to uh, the loss of religion. So mm-hmm. I believe that uh, religion previously has played a large role in making us feel a feeling of belonging and a sense of community that comes with community. religion yep. yeah it's a, a secure base so yep. there's always somebody who's listening that's a judgment-free area yeah yep. exactly so all these things are sort of becoming lost mm-hmm. right of course there's also a lot of things about religion if it's wrongly practiced yeah, yep. or that can be very detrimental as well right so um or very constricting mm-hmm. uh, but I believe also that it's throwing that away. We also threw a lot of good things away mm-hmm. um, that we are now looking for in other practices. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, yeah, sports can be one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, talking about that community, uh, our brain is still primal. It's only been. Sp- such a limited time that we've been living in cities and mm-hmm. these large communities, right? First city, one city on earth was 5,000 years ago mm-hmm. in our history of 3.6 million years, yeah. right? Or 160,000 mm-hmm. in terms of Homo sapiens. Mm-hmm. And um, so our brain is, brain is still very primal. So we need that little tribe. Mm-hmm. We need that feeling of belonging. Mm-hmm. We need that connection. And uh, you can get that through sports, through uh, religion, through other ways, mm-hmm. right? But sports, I would say, is one of the more um, holistic ones mm-hmm. because you talk to the physicality as well as to the community, uh, as well as to a sense of self-worth and mm-hmm. progress. And um, yeah. Yeah, I've, I I agree wholeheartedly with with what you said there. I mean, I found um, with jujitsu, especially. I started doing jujitsu when I first moved to Shanghai. I knew no one in Shanghai. Yeah. I hadn't even visited the city when I moved there. Yeah, I got offered a job because the money was better. I thought, eh, I've been in Shenzhen for a year. Let's go and do something different. Started training jujitsu here, and yeah, yeah, as you say, you immediately have a community of people who share something with you because all of you are doing it for a reason all of you are yeah. drawn towards this pursuit for yep. a reason then there's yep. the physicality 
an element of mindfulness as well because I found that if I'm rolling with someone, it's near enough impossible to think about as, oh, have I paid the bills? What am I having for dinner? Yeah. What's, what did that person say to me at work today when they're actively trying to choke you? It's very, yeah. very difficult yes, to yes, focus absolutely. on something else. Yes, and that, yes. So having that visceral experience that kind of pulls you into the moment and lets you bond with people yeah. and hugely hugely beneficial for my mental health yes absolutely yeah absolutely there's no doubt and interestingly when you talk about jiu-jitsu you mm -hmm. talk about brazilian jiu-jitsu mm -hmm. and i was talking about capoeira before mm -hmm. it seems that the brazilians have figured something out they seem to <laughs> they seem to have something don't they no definitely but i think i mean all joking aside the the coaches uh absolute are some of the most unrelentingly positive people I think I've mm -hmm. ever met. Where do you train? I'm training at Absolute, Absolute MMA, near Champion Road, in the centre. Right. Really, really good. Really, really, uh, really, really Salo? good. Uh, Salo? Salo was there. He's now at uh, Bushido. Right. So, nice. But yeah, great group. Great group of people. Cool. Right. We are now approaching, coming up for an hour, actually. So, how much time do you have? Um, just after 12 now well yes uh, I have a friend that's opening a gym that mm -hmm. I would like to drop by cool. and um, I have another meeting at uh, 4 ok perfect well in that case I will ask you my final question then sure so if someone is listening to this and they yeah. are finding they're really struggling at the moment and there was one takeaway they yes. could use and apply what would you what would you recommend that they do to take some positive steps forward do something you enjoy mm -hmm. fuck all the things that you think you should do mm -hmm. and find what you enjoy and go and do it it's really like the base of uh, of finding your own sense of agency mm -hmm. you know like everything that we think we should do is mm -hmm. external mm -hmm. right and um, and and it can be something small mm -hmm. uh, but be careful that it's not just a numbing agent mm -hmm. if it's uh, watching TV for days on end might not be the best thing to do mm -hmm. right <laughs> but Find something that involves some movement, some community, some other things, it doesn't matter, that you really enjoy, and go and do it. Cool. That you as a person, you as a, as a, as a individual, mm -hmm. really enjoy. Cool. Perfect. Yeah, that's it. I think that is a perfect place to stop. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Well... And thank you very much for being the first person I've interviewed as well. So yeah, hopefully my this will be and my honor. Hopefully this will be the first of many, and then who knows? A few months down the line, we'll get you back on, and then we can have another chat. Yes, absolutely. It would thank be you nice. Very much. Yeah. Thanks for interviewing me. Thanks for having me. You are more than welcome. <laughs> that was episode one of the Rolling Forward podcast. Please do feel free to get in touch with me with any comments or feedback that you may have. If anything that I've covered today has either been helpful or you have some personal experience, thank you for tuning in and I will see you next time.